All right, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 27. I think I could just about say this about every, every Bible character, every person that I preach about in the Bible, at the time when I'm preaching, they're like my favorite. You know, when you're reading on Joseph, he's your favorite. When you're reading on, I mean, David is definitely up there and one of my top favorites, along with Moses, Elijah, Elisha, and Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, and Hosea, and the Bible says, and David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines, and Saul shall despair of me to seek me any more in any coast of Israel. So shall I escape out of his hand. And David arose, and he passed over with 600 men that were with him unto Achish, the son of Maach, king of Gath. And David dwelt with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, even David with his two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, and Abigail the Carmelitess, Nabal's wife. And it was told Saul that David was fled to Gath, and he sought no more again for him. And David said unto Achish, If I have now found grace in thine eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there, for why should thy servant dwell in the royal city with thee? Then Achish gave him Ziklag that day, wherefore Ziklag pertaineth unto the kings of Judah unto this day. And the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was a full year and four months. So in 1 Samuel 27, we see David, and it says, And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. David at this, by this time has been on the run for about seven years from Saul. He stayed in the palace with Saul and his family. He played the harp and he saw Saul's anger. He, uh, the spear was thrown at him. He was dodging Saul's spear. He, he left from uh, Saul's house and he ran from him, and he hid. And he had followers that followed him, started out with about 400. If you look back with me in uh, 1 Samuel chapter, chapter 20, excuse me, 1 Samuel chapter 22, 1 Samuel chapter 22, this is after he first departed. And when he first departs, he goes to the Philistines to hide with them. But they know his reputation. They said, is it not David who had sung about that Saul has slain his thousands and David has slain his ten thousands? And they knew that David was a faithful servant of Saul. And David managed to escape. He, he saw trouble coming his way and he pretended to be mad and crazy. He clawed at the gate and he, he foamed at the mouth, but he got away. He escaped from the king of Achish because Achish said, what, what do I want with this madman? You brought, why'd you bring him to me? And uh, David leaves. But in chapter number 22, it says, And everyone that was in distress and everyone that was in debt and everyone that was discontented, this is verse number 2, gathered themselves unto him and he became a captain over them. And there were with him about 400 men. David, during this time, during this seven years, he had 
escaped. He had gone to the priest of Nob to get help. He'd gotten Goliath's sword. He'd gotten help from the priest. But because he did that, when Saul came after him and he found the priest, you probably know this story, right? Saul comes to the priest and Doeg tells him that he had helped David. And he accuses David of him helping David. But the priest, when he saw David, David had told him a story. He said, I'm I'm on a mission from the king. The priest knew nothing about it. But Saul had the priest slain at the hand of Doeg the Edomite. And when David found out about it, he, he had the burden of being the fault for it. He said in 1 Samuel 22, 22, he said, Unto Abiathar, I knew it that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of thy father's house. So David felt responsible for that. And what I'm doing is I'm just showing you the burden that David's been carrying for these seven years, living in caves, living in the woods. He went to, he found out that the Philistines were going to attack the city of Kila, Kila. And uh, he went to help him. He asked the Lord, should I go and help him? Should I go and fight the Philistines? And the Lord said, yes, I'll deliver them into your hand. And he went and fought the Philistines. And what was the thanks that he got for that? The Kalites uh, told Saul that he was in the city. Saul was going to trap him in the city. And he he prayed to God. He said, is Saul going to come here? And he said, yes, Saul's going to come here. So they left the city, but then Saul didn't go there. So he, he hides in the wilderness down in the, chapter 22, verse 16. Excuse me, chapter 22, verse 19. They, they, stay, they hide in the wilderness of Ziph. And then came up the Ziphites to Saul to Gibeah, saying, Doth not David hide himself with us in strongholds in the wilderness in the hill of Hakalah? which is on the south of Jeshimon. Now, therefore, O king, come down according to all the desire of thy soul to come down, and our part shall be to deliver him into the king's hand. Imagine what he was going through these seven years. There's 400 men, and they would set up a camp, and they might get a little comfortable, and they're trying to hide in the woods, but the people around them betray them. They try to help a city, but the people of the city betray him to Saul, and he's constantly on the run. We know the story. We know where David gets the opportunity there. Saul comes into the cave where they're hiding, and Saul covers his feet, and that's the way to keep it clean. But David is right there, and he cuts off the hem of Saul's skirt without Saul even realizing. And when Saul walks outside of the cave, he tells him, you know, he holds up that hem of the skirt and lets Saul know what would have happened to him. You ever done something really bad that you got away with? (laughs) You ever made a wrong turn where somebody just missed you? <laughs> I can just imagine the blood rushing to Saul's, you know, the adrenaline rushing. Man, I could have died. This is a little unrelated. Maybe I should be better prepared so I don't say stuff like I saw a video this week. I saw a road rage video. And a guy, two guys got out of their car and, and they approached the van. And that's a nice way of saying it. But they, they ran up to the van, and you saw the guy throw a fist in there at the driver in the van. And then you heard a couple shots. And then you see the guy walking with his arm shot. And you can, you can see on his face, it's like he had to have realized how close that he came, how close his anger brought him. And that's how I picture Saul as he sees David. 
But David goes through all of this for seven years. No home, no place, no property. Out in the woods with 400 men. 400 people that he's got to keep fed. And then it grows to 600 by the time we get to this chapter. So it comes to a point. David had another chance to get Saul. And it had to be a a spiritual high for him. In verse 21 of chapter 26. Then Saul then said, Saul, I have sinned. Return my son David, for I will no more do thee harm. David had a chance again to, to kill Saul. He had taken his spear. In verse 25, the last time Saul sees David, he says, Then Saul said to David, Blessed be thou, my son David, thou shalt do great things, and also shalt still prevail. So David went on his way, and Saul returned to his place. After these seven years, and this is what I'm getting at. It may be a little fuzzy this morning. Y'all stick with me because there is something here. Because when you see that between David and Saul, let me just paint a little picture with that. Sometimes you get tired of fighting against sin. Sometimes you get tired of the tribulations that you're going through. Sometimes you get tired of getting up in the morning And that battle that you fought yesterday is the same battle that you're fighting today. And it wears on you. And it beats you down. And for David, day after day, on the run, people turning him in. They find a place to settle. Somebody turns him in. And then Saul's coming after him. David has done nothing. And a lot of times you've done nothing but try to follow God and try to follow his word. You believe in God. You trust God. You trust Christ with the promise of eternal life. You trust Christ that you'll have the peace of God that passeth all understanding. And you go through those trials and those tribulations, and all you ever did was try to follow God. And there's people that are like that. Everybody's at a different point in their life. You see someone that struggles with drugs. You see someone that struggles with alcohol. You see someone that struggles with getting up in the morning. You see someone that struggles with just treating people right or anger issues, whatever it is. I'm not here to be a psychologist, but there's, everyone has their own besetting thing that beats them down and beats them down. And over the course of seven years, David is in Israel. He's in the promised land. But he's not welcome there. And he's being persecuted. He's being chased by Saul. 3,000 men coming after his 600. And David reaches a point when you get to chapter 27. And it says it right here. And David said in his heart. And it's the heart that gives out. And I'm not talking about a heart attack. That happens. But I'm talking about spiritually. You fight those spiritual battles and they wear you down to a point. And David followed the Lord. We know that he followed the Lord. He asked God, should I fight the Philistines? God said, yes. He asked God. He he had the priest come and bring the ephod. And he asked him, is Saul going to come here? Do we need to leave? And God said, yes, you need to leave. But we get to this point at the end of the seven years, I'm told. And David said in his heart. We know David was tenderhearted. 
You read the Psalms, Psalm 13. He says, how long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest mine enemy say I have prevailed against him, and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. David always ended his psalms on a high note. But you see that, I mean, David was a fighter. David took on the Philistines. He wasn't afraid to fight. But David was tenderhearted. When he was confronted about Bathsheba, he said, I have sinned against the Lord. His heart was tender towards the Lord. And there comes a time and it said, and David said in his heart, you know, the world tells us to follow your heart. Any movie that you see or story, someone's trying to make a big decision. Should I go here? Should I go there? And they say, well, just follow your heart. All the way back to Oz, right? Just follow your heart. And, uh, but the Bible tells us a different story. You know, the heart is kind of fickle. There's people that are following their heart and leaving their husband and their family behind to go off with this other person because they feel like their heart's leading them that way. A preacher said, the heart of every matter is really a matter of the heart. So God had promised David that he would be a king. Samuel came and anointed David above all his brothers. He saw a movement toward the palace, but then he saw a movement away from the palace. But God gave him reassurance. Jonathan told him he would be a king and that Jonathan would be at his side. Jonathan was the son of the king, but he was saying, I'll follow you. Abigail, his wife, told him that he would be a king, that he would be a great leader. And others told him that. But God had promised David would be a king, but now David in his heart is doubting not trusting the promises of God. I tell you, when you get to fighting that battle, when it gets to wearing you down, you start to wonder about the promises of God, that peace that passeth all understanding. God, are you going to answer this prayer? God, this tribulation that I'm going through, can you help me overcome it? That same battle year after year, week after week. It, and it comes in different ways. Because when you think you got everything figured out, the devil finds another angle in there. Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us about the heart. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? It'll mislead you. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. We see David making a decision to go to the Philistines because his heart said, David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines, and Saul shall despair of me. And you know, he was right. You know, for a Christian, if you, and many people do it, you get tired of that tribulation. You get tired of that resistance, having to fight against the current. Because in a Christian life, it's, it's, 
if you're rowing, it's like being on the river. You know, being married, meeting her family, they live out on the river. I got to learn a little bit about the river. We went on, uh, when we were first dating, our dad had his boat. Everybody's got a boat out there. At the, they got their dock that they built, and they got their boat tied up, and he let me take her in his boat. He said, he said, take the boat upriver. That way, if something happens, if, if, if something happens, then you'll still be able to drift back to the dock. And we get that boat, and he had them pedals on the front to steer the motor. You didn't sit at the back and hold the motor, but you had the pedals on the front. That was nice. And you had the throttle here for the motor, and she sat in the back, and I sat in the front, and I'm going up the river, and I start to get a little more comfortable with that boat, and Dee Dee loves this story, and her family loves this story. But we're going up, and, you know, there's a tree across one way, and but I go covering about three quarters, and I go past that, and I go up, and then we get to the point where, well, we've gone far enough, we probably need to go back, you know. And we turn around, and I forget about that tree. I'm coming down too fast, coming down river too fast. And I forget about that tree. Something else you ought to know, I was in the best shape of my life back then. That's not saying a whole lot. That's just saying it's all relative, right? But we're coming back down river. I get to that turn and I see that tree laying three quarters of the way across the river that I'd forgotten about. And so I, I got the pedals. I got it under control. I hit the boat and I'm going to make the turn and then I'll turn back in. And as I'm trying to turn, that river carries us right into that tree. And I said, well, that's fine. I'll just make my way back up river and come. It didn't work that way. <laughs> key, key, there's water coming in. There's water. I look back there and the boat already going in the water. We had to bail out. What I'm saying is if you, if you stop pushing yourself up river, if you stop paddling, if you just Put the oars back in the boat. You're just going to float back. You're going to backslide. Y'all want to know the rest of the story? I'll tell you that I wasn't going to lose my future father-in-law's boat. I wasn't about to come back to that house without her daddy's boat. I was in pretty good shape, and we were going down river, and I had that rope in my teeth, and I was... Swimming that upside down boat down that river, and I was going to go the whole way if it took me three days to get back. <laughs> One of their friends came up, neighbor, saw us, and we pulled it over. And, and I tell you, I had a thought process for what's coming. She loves this. Her family loves this part. Never let me live. This was back in '90, y'all. I still ain't lived it down. We got, he helped me. It's upside down, and we, we get it over there. And thankfully, Dee Dee wasn't hurt. I, I didn't mention it, but she didn't get hurt. The motor didn't hit her. And he helps me to flip it. And, well, there's full of water, you know. Well, I mean, if it's full of water, I thought we were, I was in pretty good shape. And when you're younger, you know, you don't think so clear sometimes. You think muscle conquers everything. I took out the boat plug, and we were going to lift it up. And as far as I knew, we were going to drain it that way, right? 
<laughs> We're sitting there. He's like, man, I keep bailing it, but the water's not going out. I said, well, let me put the boat flow back in. <laughs> well, what I'm saying is you get tired of and we did get it back. He said, and, you know, before we went on that trip, I said, man, there's a lot of stuff in the bottom of this boat. He said, he said boy, if you wanted it clean, you could have done it at the dock. <laughs> so, but her, her dad loved me. I mean, we, we got along. All right. So you, you get tired of going against the current because when you're staying with the Lord, you're going to be, you're going to meet some resistance. You're going to come across that thing, and, and David has been following what God wants, but he's, he's having to go against the current. They're having to hide wherever they go. They're getting hunted down wherever they go for seven years, and he reaches that point, and he's tired. And you, you may reach that point, and people do. They reach that point where they're, where they're tired of going against the current. It's like I've, I've accepted Christ. I, I tell somebody if they get saved, I say, I, I, you want to pray for them because the next day the devil's going to hit. The next five minutes the devil's going to hit. And they're going to find every kind of resistance. Some of, the, some of the toughest times were when I'd get up, first started getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning to read God's Word and then working. I had customers that were yelling at me and I had things going wrong and things messing up. But they get tired of it and they say, they say in their heart, I'm just going to give in. I'll go over to the Philistines. And then Saul will stop pursuing me. And Saul did. When he found out they went to the Philistines, he stopped pursuing him. And then David was there for a year and a half. Now, there are some lessons from that. Number one is about the heart. Watching your heart. Number two, we look up to David. And there's men you'll look up to. There's men in the church. There's men in wherever. There's examples that are set. But the best of men or women are still men at best. At best, they're men. You see what I'm saying? There's none perfect but God and no matter how think you, how tough you think someone is no matter how much you look up to them you have to understand they can get beat down they can say in their heart they can resign in their heart we often put men on mere men on pedestals like they're at the level of God but they're not even close Look at Noah, who found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He built a boat in a land that had never before seen rain simply because God told him to. And he's in the hall of faith for that. Peter calls him the preacher of righteousness, but we forget the party that he had. <laughs> it was so wild that he passed out, drunk. He had his failings. The Bible shows us them. 
Abraham, the friend of God who believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness, the one who left everything he had and went in search of a city with foundations, whose builder and maker is God, the one who was willing to sacrifice the sin. He had waited on for many years again. He had great faith. But we missed the moments with Hagar where he said, well, God hadn't fulfilled his promise yet. Maybe we can fulfill it this way. The parts where he's afraid of losing Sarah. So he says, just tell them you're my sister. Otherwise, they'll kill me. He says nothing about her. He says, they'll kill me for you. Peter, the best friend of Jesus, the leader of the early church, the bold and brave Peter that also denied even knowing Jesus. And then on the Mount of Transfiguration suggested building three temples instead of just one. There's only one Jesus. There's only one perfect one. And he's the one to set your eyes on. People get failed by somebody they look up to, a mentor or something like that. And they say in their heart, they just kind of give up. I'll go to the Philistines. They drop out of church and they go back to the life that they knew. We, uh, some things are hard to watch. Sometimes it's productive, but uh, it was some documentaries on churches and they love to do them on churches and the independent fundamental Baptist movement and you know, Catholic churches. They love to see a church fail. And when I watched it, and we watched it, it was a four-episode thing. I watched it, and I couldn't argue because I didn't care much for it either, what they had done, what men had done to little girls. And you couldn't argue with it. But within those churches are people that want to follow the Lord and people who want to be close to Jesus Christ. But the world gets to set up that example and set everyone else up for the fall. And there's people that look at those men that fell and they say in their heart, I'm just going to stay with the Philistines. One of the other things we can learn is that often after a spiritual high, there comes an emotional low. David had a victory. He had just experienced a mountaintop moment in not killing Saul, the anointed of God, and he left there feeling good, only to fall right into what we just read. Because he knew this was the second time and he was sure that Saul wouldn't quit following him. And the only reason Saul did was because of the Philistines. He went to the Philistines. You can come out of a revival meeting, a child will come out of a, a Bible camp or something on a spiritual high, close to God, closer to the Lord than they've ever been. Reading Bible, hearing preaching, and then the world attacks. And then they'll say in their heart, You think of Elijah on the Mount Carmel, you know that's my favorite example. I love that sermon. Up there, the fire of God comes down, the prophets of Baal are killed. And Elijah comes down from the mountain. He's just down from the mountain, and he's seen God work. He's seen God's prophets taken out of hiding and put back at the place they need to be. But one woman says something, and 
I don't hate women. I'm not talking about women. I'm just saying that Jezebel is a woman, and she said something. She said that she was going to kill him, and he ends up under the juniper tree. He said in his heart. Moses, who had 40 days on the mountain with the Lord receiving the Ten Commandments, only to come down and see the people dancing around a golden calf. And then he breaks the Ten Commandments. You keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. Your heart will mislead you. There's been a discussion in our family because we're reading the Bible throughout the year. The question is, uh, because some will say, well, you should only, I had just heard this, but you should only read it when you feel like it or when you, because you won't receive what's there otherwise. And there comes a point in your Christian life where there's just discipline. There comes a point where you just have to push past, and sometimes you don't feel like it. But if you move your feet, this is my saying, if you set your feet right, God will set your heart right. You may not feel close to the Lord right now, but let me tell you, the way to get close to the Lord isn't considering in your heart. The way to get close to the Lord isn't saying, waiting for that moment to where you feel like you're ready to walk up the mountaintop and see God face to face or hide in the cleft of the rock or to build the ark. Not waiting for that moment, but making that step each day toward the Lord. You open the Bible. You may not understand. I guarantee you won't understand everything you read. But as you do, God will begin to work in you and work in you. And it's a battle. It's running from Saul. I mean, in that, in that battle, this Saul is a type of the flesh. David is a type of the spirit, type of the Christian running from the flesh. Now, that's not set in stone. That wasn't mentioned in the New Testament, but that's the way it works. You fight that battle every day. David's been in a hard battle for years now, and it's really starting to take a toll. This Christian life is hard. I, uh, I've heard preachers that only preach on the positive. I was a little worried when I saw this message that I only preach on the negative. I was thinking, man, maybe I need to balance it out with a little bit of positive. I got some positive for you. Jesus saves. I got some positive for you. The peace of God that passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what's the answer? Number one, don't take the boat plug out. <laughs> Number two, don't just give up and put the oars back in the boat. And pray for those that do. If you'll stand... What I've seen in the Bible when it comes to the heart is the heart is something that you need to steer. That's the only way I can think of it. 
Bible says, for with the heart, man believes unto righteousness. It's, it's the heart 